Well, this fall, a group did a, uh, they delved deeply into the Christmas season and they wanted to know the question, hey, what's the number one word that's used most often at the Christmas season, the most oft-repeated word. So what they did, they scoured, they corralled the, the data, they, they looked at music, they looked at movies, Christmas music, Christmas movies, and Hallmark greeting cards. And the number one word, the most often repeated word in the Christmas season is not reason or season or holly or jolly or reindeer or eggnog or mistletoe or elves. Elves is not even peace, love, and joy. The number one word, most often repeated word at Christmas is, any guesses, the word give. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his only, his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God loves, so God gave love gives. The gift doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to cost a lot of money. It just needs to say, you are loved and I loved you. That's the essence of a good gift. I've got a a real good friend. We went out to dinner a couple of weeks ago and I saw him post this uh, yesterday. He sells brand new, finely tuned, superbly engineered luxury automobiles. I will never do business with him. Uh, I'm priced out of that. Okay. Y'all don't give enough money. I'm priced out of that. But, uh, so, so, but I'm his friend. I just, not his business partner. Here's what he posted. I love this. Uh, the car is a rental, but you can keep the bow. I just wanted to annoy the neighbors. It's really not the, the gift. It doesn't have to be fancy. It's fun to annoy the neighbor, neighbors. Good trick to do next year, right? Uh, if, you, if you hate your neighbors. Uh, but it, it's not the, it, it's what's behind the gift. Again, it doesn't have to be costly or fancy. Some of you could stand up and testify that it, it's, it's not the price of it, but it's the heart behind it. A couple of weeks ago, I was uh, rummaging through some boxes at our house. Now, we don't have a lot of boxes at our house. You can ask Susan or just come over, uh, not at the same time, but you can just come over and you can see that uh, we, just lo- we love to throw things away, but we have some sentimental boxes, and I was looking through something just a couple of weeks ago, and I found a, a, a card, and it, it was made out of you know, paper, and it was gold, it had glitter on it, and it was more or less in the shape of a trophy, and it said, Heroes. And it, it, was, it was labeled heroes, and it, it says it was written in, you know, in crayon, uh, the handwriting of a little child, and it said, my hero, or a hero is someone who pays attention to you. My hero is my dad, because my dad pays attention to me. And that was written years ago by my daughter, who's not little anymore. Now, let me ask you t- today, do you think I would give like $10,000 for that card? Yeah, of course I would. She can write another card. I mean, that's a stupid question. Of course I would give up, you know, I would take $10,000 and, and, and give you that card. Absolutely. It's the heart that's behind it. And it's a love that can give and that can repeat itself. A, a book I read uh, this past week is this, uh, Gratitude, an Intellectual History by Peter Leinhardt. And he talks in this book, uh, examining the question, what person has influenced giving more than any other in human history? What person has changed the nature of giving and our ideas about gratitude and the very essence of it all? And he says that there's inescapably one person who's revolutionized, and it's the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus came, and he came into a system uh, that was very, very different. And anthropologists have been writing, they've studied it more and been writing about it a lot just this last century, how giving back then and that time was very different than giving is today. 
And giving then was a, it was much more a serious endeavor. Giving was a thing of reciprocity. It was a thing where someone would give and there was a duty, an obligation, a sense of ought that the person who received the gifts must repay. But not like you and I in a simple gift exchange of, hey, what's the price of that? Let me try to match the price of the gift that you just gave me uh, in real time. Not that, but it was, uh, it was a, a different thing. Embedded in it was power and hierarchy and structure and people that had power and people that didn't have power. And guess what? In Jesus' day, he came to upset the apple cart, which is true for our day. Uh, there were only a few people in power, and he wanted to disrupt that. He came as a dissident, as a maverick, as a misfit, as a rebel, as a revolutionary. And into this, he said, I want to change how you give. Because you see, when they were giving, the wealthy were called patrons. And the people they would give to were called clients. We use the same words in our day, only differently. But patrons would give, and then the clients would be in turn they would be, have to be subservient to the patrons. They would have to give back in their labor, in their time. And it was very labor intensive. It was very strenuous. It was very slave-like. And so this power structure continued. There's phrases that we use in our day differently. Benefactor, recipient, patron, client, entourage. A, a, a bunch of clients would go and they would blow the trumpet to a patron. Someone who had given them money, who had given them a gift. They would blow the trumpet in order to honor them publicly before people. Could you imagine that? Uh, we say my entourage, like my squad, my group, right? But in, in that day, entourage was clients. It was people who didn't have power, who didn't have wealth or resources, and they would have to pay back. And it was a tremendous weight, a tremendous burden. And in this book, Gratitude and Intellectual History, he talks about this uh, study from the anthropologist and how this one man came and he changed human history. Jesus would come and he would say in Matthew 5, hey, the God, the Father, our Father, he, he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain to the just and the unjust. He would tell people in the power structures that day, when you give, uh, don't give to be seen by other people. Don't blow a trumpet in the streets and the synagogue so that people would honor you. Now, why would Jesus say, when you give, don't blow a trumpet? Any guesses? Because when people gave, they blew trumpets. He's not pulling this stuff out of thin air, y'all. People would, they would blow trumpets to, to, to be honored and to call attention to this. And Jesus is saying, do it differently. He would later say that those who are ruling over the Gentiles, those who are, who are exercising authority, they do it to rule over people. And he would say, that needs to stop. Uh, he, he would teach us uh, that call no one father. You're calling people father. You're patronizing them and in, in essence worshiping them. And he's saying, call no one father. Only one, we only have one father and, and he is in heaven. He would teach us in Luke 14 that when you throw a party, don't invite friends, brothers, sisters, and rich neighbors. Those are straight from the words of Jesus. Don't invite friends, brothers, sisters, and rich neighbors. Now, is Jesus actually saying don't have relatives over for dinner? Yeah, he is. It's in the Bible. And some of you have been looking for that verse. It's Luke 14, 24. Uh, this isn't really a sermon, but you can write that down. Luke 14. You don't have to invite relatives over. So, mom, you got to go. Sorry. There's my mom. Yeah. No, Jesus is not saying that. He's saying don't do things for people. Don't give of yourself in order to receive in return. And the Latins had a, had a phrase for this, if we can put it uh, on the screen. It was this, do uh, utdos. Uh, I will give so you will give to me. And Jesus would say, hey, freely, hear me, church, this is the gospel on Christmas Eve, freely you have received, freely give. And Paul, this brilliant mind of this first century, would write, a follower of Jesus whose life was radically changed, he would write in Romans 13, 10, 
owe no man nothing but to love one another. Now, Paul is not, just like Jesus hadn't given us family dynamics in Luke 14, Paul is not giving us money management tips in Romans 13. He's not saying don't ever take out a loan. The church is taking out a loan. He's not saying don't ever take out a loan. What, what's he saying there? Don't, don't owe any man anything. He's saying that we are part of a community, a newly formed community of mutual humility and radical generosity that we're all common at the seat of the Father. You see, Jesus would say when, in a world that a blessing and favoritism and who does God love and who does God not, God not love, Jesus would say, hey, his rain falls, his sun shines on the good and the evil and the just and the unjust. Hey, we're all living in this same world and all of us need to receive from the Father. All of us need to receive this gift that he has freely, freely offered. Years ago when our kids were eight, five, and two years old, Susan looked at me in the early part of the week and she said, hey, Robert, I would love to go out of town with the girls this weekend. And I was thinking, no. In fact, you know, Jesus said in Matthew 12, you know, what comes out of here, you know, what comes out of here comes from here. And so I, I just blurted out, no, as if I, you know, could lord it over her. And she said, would you, I put air quotes around it, would you hold down the fort? And that meant eight, five, and almost three years old that's what that meant and so I just didn't feel qualified at that point to hold down the fort and some of you some of you holding down the forts right here uh in the sanctuary but man I you know to her I said well you know I offered up excuses I said you know I'm, I'm preaching this weekend and which honestly uh, I was um to be candid no irony here but I was going to be preaching on agape love self-giving self-sacrificial love <laughs> And, 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 and then I, I was going to have to fill in and lead the small group by myself. And then I told her, I said, Susan, a man in the church, a new man in the church invited me to watch a playoff game with him. And he's, he, it's a ministry thing. And he's got, he's got this big burden. He's got this big need. He's got this big prayer request. He's got this big widescreen TV. And I said, I just, I really can't hold down the fort for you. And the conviction fell. The conviction that here I was going to be preaching on giving and agape love. And I wasn't willing or I was begrudgingly doing that. Everybody's heard this because these words are famous. Um, God loves a cheerful giver. And can I let you in on a little secret on Christmas Eve? So does everybody else. And when you give, you help and you heal and you bond and you connect and you give life. And this passage in 2 Corinthians says this. It says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And so on Christmas Eve, I want to ask you, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is, you're under no weight of obligation to do this. You may want to let the cup pass, but on your seat, you see this, and it's a cup. And it's a cup that represents, there's, there's bread on the top. There's a little bit of trick to this. If you're not good at assembling furniture, uh, hand it to the person next to you. And let them do it for you. This is a little tricky. But there's two layers that you'll want to peel. And the first one that you peel on the very, very top, it's awfully thin. But when you peel that, you'll see a wafer, a piece of bread. And then the next peel you'll make will be, it'll be the juice, the cup. And so if you would begin to do that now, I can hear you. I can see you. You are. Uh, again, if you need help, uh, it's a, mildly embarrassing. Just ask the person next to you. And you'll be set. And Jesus said, the one who freely gave, ask us to freely receive. And so while you're uh, doing that, could I get at least part of your attention, if not your full attention? I want to ask you on Christmas Eve, 
Have you received? Have you received this gift? Not has your mom and them received. Not have, uh, you know, you've been going to church for decades. Not have you done some things in a religious context, but have you received this gift? Have you said, Christ, I need you. Christ, uh, I'm tired of paying, trying to pay the penalty of my sin. Um, I, I need you. I need your grace. I need the gift that you've offered. And I want to humbly, receively, uh, humbly receive the gift that you have offered to me. And so we're going to stand in a moment. But I, before you stand, I want you to join with our team in singing. And in your own time, over the next uh, 30 seconds to a minute and a half, uh, take the bread. And this is the body of Christ. It symbolizes the body of Christ broken for you. And this cup symbolizes the blood of Jesus shed for the remission of your sin. The shame you don't have to live in. The guilt, guilt can be a good gift. It can, it can wake you up and it can be the light on the dashboard that says, I need to confess, I need to repent. But you don't have to stay there. You and I on this Christmas Eve, we can accept his gift. And for many of you, you're, you're believers in Jesus. And so you're saying with this cup tonight, you're saying, thank you. Thank you again for the price that you have paid. This is this indescribable gift. Let's worship through communion.